0: You're now listening to The Nest On Tap, conversations to encourage parents to make informed choices about healthcare and to embrace parenting as a tool to change the world, one diaper at a time. Here's your host,
1: Katie DeModa. (laughs) Good morning and welcome to The Nest On Tap. I'm Katie DeModa, your host, and today is our first Nest On Tap specifically for fathers. Um, I've really enjoyed having some inspiring conversations with our guest today, and I'm looking forward to sharing his work and his perspectives on fatherhood with you. David Arrell is an author, entrepreneur, consultant, and men's coach. He's currently living with his family in Colorado Springs, Colorado. David's passionate about coaching men on how to more fully embrace and embody healthy masculinity, especially through the powerful modalities of partnership and parenting his most recent work in this area is his book welcome to fatherhood the modern man's guide to pregnancy childbirth and fatherhood it's better known as wtf welcome david thank you so much for joining us today
0: thanks katie for having me uh thanks guys for coming in and joining the conversation looking forward to sharing some thoughts here and uh hearing some thoughts and experiences and kind of seeing where the conversation goes. So thanks for having me on as a guest.
1: Absolutely. First, I'd just like to share uh, as a professional, from a professional standpoint, uh, your book on fatherhood uh, really has such um, on point information. Uh, It's really so full of specific and usable information for fathers or men who are seeking some guidance in early fatherhood. Uh, On top of that, it's also funny and relatable, which obviously makes it easier to be learning things that are new. Uh, It's also worth mentioning that there are sections in David's book that speak to mothers, uh, which I think is really great because it helps weave us all into the same space. Uh, It's kind of hard if we're lopsided, if one parent's reading one book and getting different information. So I really like that (coughs) book, David, that you've got some sections in there to bring mom up into the same place where we're where we're helping and supporting uh fathers um so david has a lot to share about pregnancy and birth and today we're going to focus more on parenting but before we go there um i thought it was really would be helpful to share a couple of david's big ideas Um, he has many big ideas in his book where he um, supports, uh, really captures information for us to, to follow. Um, but some of these, these first two, I think will help us, um, think a little bit differently about fatherhood. Um, and so David, your first big idea is pregnancy turns your lady into an instant mama, right? So I see this all the time. Women, you have You have this early insight into your baby. You're feeling every movement. You're connected in this way, but what about dads? What about fathers? When does fatherhood begin for men? And so David, your thoughts on um, a little bit of this reframe, right? Does fatherhood begin when you hold your baby for the first time or does it begin sooner?
0: I think where where we wanna be moving the conversation Um, to help both the expectant dads and expectant moms and ultimately baby too, is to kind of shift that awareness of fatherhood beginning. Um, You know, traditionally, and we can circle back to this later. Traditionally, guys will often have all kinds of visions about what they're going to be doing with their child. Um, And usually when you drill down into that vision, the child is four or five years old, even, you know, Um, you can't, Your your brand new baby's not going to be on its bicycle learning how to ride a bike or turning a wrench in the garage with you. Um, Backing up a little bit further, most dads I know from myself and most dads I talk with, it literally is that moment when you're actually holding your baby that it becomes real. Um, You're 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 a dad. It's you know you'll talk to pregnant couples and most of the dads will if you give them a chance, they'll say something about not being a dad yet, or when I'm really a dad or when baby finally gets here, I'll be a dad. And um, what I want, we want to keep shifting that awareness and bringing it back much earlier into the pregnancy. Um, Because like that big idea, number one says instant mama, there's an aphorism that most of the guys here probably have heard at some point, but that women tend to become mothers when they find out they're pregnant. Whereas fathers men don't become fathers until the baby is born. And that, time gap and that perception gap and that reality gap, the greater that that is true for any individual couple, like I'm talking, most of what I talk about for populations, not necessarily individuals, like any individual person can have a very different experience than the what's under the, the meat of the curve will show. But generally, the bigger that that's true for the couple, the more challenging their experiences are going through that pregnancy. I know for my first with our first baby, I was very much in the boat of, well, I'll be a dad when the baby gets here. As a matter of fact, uh, our son was being born in August. And so father's day, uh, back almost five years ago. Now, my wife had gotten me a father's day card. And I was like, babe, you know, I'm not a dad yet. Like you wouldn't get me a graduation card in February when I walk in June. Would you like, you know, I mean, uh, what, what, like I, I, I was trying to, I was trying to be more connected to her, but I still couldn't get over that internal hurdle that I wasn't a dad yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the the things I try to talk about in the book is even if that doesn't, even if that feels true to you, like you're not a dad yet, um, is to really try to shift over and try to conceptually reorient to being a dad now to better sync up with where mama is. Because as you guys all know, that positive pregnancy test creates a lot of different behavioral changes where like, okay, maybe mama used to drink three cups of coffee every morning. And she's like, okay, switching to decaf, or maybe she really liked sushi. And now it's like, okay, which ones are cooked or the cheeses and pasteurized milk unpacked. I mean, there's a million things, all the vitamins, like that's a very real and tangible and immutable experience and reality for her. And there's nothing you're going to say to her where she's like, Oh yeah, you're right. I won't be a mom till the baby gets here. It's like, no, she's, she's a mom now. And so Mm -hmm. A lot of the early talk in the book is about trying to connect to where she is. Preserve your truth. Like, again, at the end of the day, your truth is true for you. And I'm not here to try to tell you you're wrong. Um, I'm here just to say, yes, that's true for you. And recognize what's true for mama. And then encourage each of you to kind of recognize each other's truth and to build those bridges of connection across that where you're still working and walking forward together. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's I kind of like to start the book right away with acknowledging, hey, like, I get it. I didn't feel like I was a dad yet either. You're and that's fine. That's that's correct. And what else can we do in addition to that, rather than just staying there and sort of like defending that position, so to speak?
1: Mm-hmm. I love that, David. And this is such a good reframe is thinking about how can I be a dad while my wife is pregnant or my partner, right? How do I how do I participate in this way? And I love all your suggestions, which are to get involved, right? Go to the visits go to the child, of course, we love you in your childbirth classes, all the men, please. And you know that those of you who've taken our class, we love that you're there. We really wanna make sure you're included um, because I think it is such a woman's space, birth and pregnancy is a woman's space. So finding your place in there is in that space and, with, and being comfortable within it is so important, not just to your partner, but I hope for you too.
0: Well, and yeah, and Katie, that's a great point about feeling comfortable. One of the things that this is actually the second big idea in the book. I talk about the great difference between our our current reality that we all live in here in the the modern world here in the United States and how that is so, you know, multiple standard deviations away from what our cultural evolutionary heritage is the past, you know, the previous 200,000 years, we all kind of did everything one way. And then the past, you know, thousand or so things are starting to shift. And now we're over here where, you know, things are completely different. Like if you were to go in a time machine 2000 years ago, any village, anywhere on the planet, and you find a pregnant lady who's about ready to have a baby and you look around and you say, where's dad? They would look at you and be like, what? He's way over there where he belongs. Like this is women's work. It's a women's place. It's a women's experience. Mm-hmm. Not only is dad not here but he's not supposed to be here like what's wrong with you why why would you want a man in here mm-hmm. and so compare that to where we are now where even you know i'm almost i'm 47 years old and when i was born my dad was not allowed to be in the delivery room he was told to wait in the waiting room and then my mom had complications when i was born so i was in a little like incubator for a couple of days my mom was under some intensive care my dad was only allowed to come in and hold me for a half hour a day under direct nurse supervision. And the nurse would literally sit there and stare at them for a half hour. And then the bell would ding and she'd pick me up and put me back in my little box. So compare that today where like a lot of dads are catching babies. They're like right there, they're, they're in the mix and they're not only, um, encouraged to be more present, but now they're expected to be more present. So the idea of why us guys might feel a little uncomfortable, in the birth space or like going to some of our birth classes and we kind of sit back and you know we're there but uh, you know that that sort of like an inherent discomfort we feel is perfectly natural and perfectly um, reasonable and so it is a little bit tricky to ask us to kind of come out of our shell to come out and be more active participants when we're not getting direct uh, information on what we should be doing most of the time Mama doesn't know exactly what she needs at any and every step of the way. And the birth community is still adjusting to encouraging us guys to be a bigger part of it. So the sense of a little bit of confusion and uncertainty is correct. You're you're right where you're supposed to be.
1: Right. Also thinking about, uh, right, we're asking and inviting men to step into traditional women's work right? Without having, I love that there's no modeling for that, right? Like David, your dad didn't have that. So who do you look to? How do you know how to step into this new role without the programming, without the wiring? So it's a big ask. I think, I think it's a big ask and not one that we can't expect men to uh, achieve, succeed and participate. I think we can, but it's new. And I, you know, I took this idea that you shared just now, I have taken that into my most recent uh newborn care class and i honestly felt that when i talked about this i could feel one big exhale in the room like oh so i'm not supposed to know this right i'm not supposed to know what i'm doing and i don't know did you feel that when you reframe this for yourself as a father do you feel this way when you talk to men because i loved that there was this exhale and all of a sudden almost a built-in sense of space and grace for learning?
0: I think the, like, I was really committed. Like, all the guys that I see here are in that top 5% of guys who are not necessarily locked into traditional cultural Mm -hmm. norms. Um, And again, I talk in general language for populations. I know there's been a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot more uh, particular and a specific language when you talk about individuals, but in populations, that's kind of where I'm coming from in the, in the game I play in the book because it's meant for a wide readership. So most of the guys here are already in that top 5% of like ready, eager, able, interested of like jumping in, hands in. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where I was coming from with our first pregnancy. And that's largely what inspired me to kind of like come up with this material and eventually write this book is even, in spite of all of my best efforts and the support of the community around me, there were still so many times I was struggling or or even if I just felt sort of like passively ignored, like going into our first ultrasound, the tech didn't even talk to me at all. And I'm sitting like right there holding my wife's hand while they're, we're doing it, um, an ultrasound. And as you guys all know, you're probably, I see a couple of babies here. So you guys are on the other side of that. But that's a kind of, that's like a terrifying you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I was just as nervous as my as my poor wife was. And what are they gonna see? And mm-hmm. is our baby gonna have five arms? Like, well, you know, we don't, all this stuff is an open question until mm-hmm. it's not. And the ultrasound technician of, you know, lovely, talented lady, like she's, I think she said hi to me. And then every question and comment was directed to my wife. Even when I would try to interject and offer, you know, mm-hmm. have something to offer to the conversation. She was ignoring me i don't think she wasn't doing it out of spite or like intentionally just that i was i was the dad why did she need to talk to me yeah. um so having a lot of those experiences as somebody that's was willing to push past them i can imagine some of the poor guys that are coming from more traditional background and are wanting to be involved but not feeling invited or feeling like slight some resistance as they try to work their way in i can easily imagine them just being like well okay I guess, I guess I will wait quietly over here kind of thing. So um, I'm happy to see a lot of that shifting and, uh, and that we're, we're being brought in and it's, it's guys like you guys who are already on that front line or already stepping in that could be a great resource to your friends or coworkers or whatever as they go through their pregnancy journey. So I definitely encourage you guys to, to be the examples that you are, the, the great examples that you are.
1: And that's a great reminder that there's still work to do. We think we're doing really well and we are changing and things are improving, but good reminder, David, that even five years ago, right? That's not that long ago. Like we still need to be those of us who are working in the field, really a little bit more aware of bringing in both partners, right? Men as well. Moving in a little bit to early fatherhood, because we could talk about childbirth, for hours, Uh, but I know you have a lot of, you've already had a lot of hours on podcast sharing thoughts on pregnancy and birth. And today I'm just really excited that you're here to talk a little bit more specifically about stepping in as fathers in postpartum. I really love your mantra. It's very simple and clear for dads, which is to protect and serve, right? That's that's really the goal here. We're gonna protect and serve. And I love that. It's a great, it's a great goal um, and a great place to be focusing um, thinking though i can only just imagine because clearly i'm a woman and a mother but this i you know the the potential um feelings for uh maybe uncertainty uh, hanging out in the shadow of a mother who can instantly soothe right with breast milk if they're able to bre- breastfeed Uh, Maybe they're, you know, just so in tune with baby can scoop baby up and soothe and calm baby. So thinking about fatherhood in early postpartum and living within that shadow. David ideas and thoughts on how men can find their way for doing simple things like how do I soothe the baby I've never done this before I most men probably haven't spent time with newborns and so um, thoughts on that and. Maybe you'll share. I've been talking about this for years, but you say it so well. Your dad tipped fathers don't mother. Yes, brilliant. I thank haven't you. said it so clearly as that, but it's exactly what I try to support dads is you're going to do it your own way. So thoughts on how to navigate that space.
0: Sure, thank you. Um, I think I'd like to back up just one one click out. And the bigger <laughs> picture that I'm very passionate about is that parents are, are, are partners. They're, yeah. they're working together. They're a team. Um, there's a lot of uh, intention going into parenting and the conversations around, you know, who's going to do what a lot of it's logistics, simply like who's going to turn on the stove while the other person wipes the baby's butt and gives it a fresh diaper, you know? Um, but a lot of that, a lot of that stuff is in the context of we're, we're teammates here. We're, we're parents. We're going to be we're gonna both be co-pilots of this plane um, forever. Like my parents still worry about me. And like I mentioned, I'm 47 years old. My, my mom still will randomly send me a test, ask me if, if how hot the weather is or whatnot, you know? So that that's never gonna stop. So clicking back in, what's, so, what's up for a brand new family with a new baby is all that work is setting those patterns and those templates and those trends. Um, what makes us tricky is those first few weeks in particular, I talk about the fourth trimester, those first three months, that postpartum period, um, where that balance of of everything shifts heavily over to us guys. It's like a crash course in parenting partnership and teammates. Um, we're being asked to do a bunch of things we don't normally do, such as carry you know, our partner's laundry up the stairs or Bring her a glass of water when she's sitting on the couch. Um, or maybe we are normally, but like we know it's we're, we're, we're willfully helping rather than like our, our partner is, you know, depending on the degree of the, the birth experiences recovering from a pretty, you know, significant biological bodily event. There's rest needed, there's recuperation. Um, there's a lot of mother baby bonding that's, that's crucial and is so important, but there's also father baby bonding that's important and father and mother bonding as, as teammates. So this triangle of these different relationships. Mm-hmm. So what's so challenging in the postpartum period is us guys are basically thrown into the mix of do all these things you've never done before in the presence of somebody who's also struggling with a new experience for them. And you have a small baby that has one mode of communicating which is essentially, you know, crying. Um, they're not gonna say, hey, I'm hungry. Can you feed me? You know, their Tummy's this big. So they're hungry and then, wow, not even an hour goes by and they're hungry again, or they, their diapers wet and, or their stomach hurts. Cause they eat a little bit too much. Like you, you have to figure all this out. So it's a very, um, it can be a very like pressurized environment, especially for us guys who, again, going back to that big idea, number two, this is all very new for most of us guys who, you know, again, speaking in the sense of populations, men generally were not the baby, uh, caretakers throughout the vast, vast, vast bulk of our collective human history. And we're learning and sure we have two arms, we can hold a baby, but a lot of that um, it's, it's a lot of guys struggle with feeling confident and comfortable there. So one of the things I have in that postpartum period is a dad tip number 24, which is just do it, just jump in there, do everything. Like, you know, moms don't get a secret code book that they look at when you're sleeping, that tells them how to change a diaper and exactly how to, do all these things. So, you know, figure it out and jump in. And the best way to learn is to do it. And, um, you know, just do everything for those first few weeks in particular, but those first few months, trusting, and knowing that as things move on, you will all be have, have developed some skills and capacities, but also everything can be renegotiated later. This isn't a just do everything perpetually, you know, just for the, just for now really just jump in and be that supportive partner. And, um, as far as how to do that, you mentioned the one of the books I that I loved when I came across it was The uh, Happiest Baby on the Block. It's got the five S's of swaddle and, shh and the uh, side holding and whatnot. And I felt a little bit more comfortable upon hearing that information from somebody else mm-hmm. rather than my poor wife, you know, trying to like show me how to hold the baby the right mm-hmm. way. This gets into the father's don't mother. Like, you know, I loved holding our little baby in that football hold where, you know, he's laying face down on my forearm with his head over my elbow crook and my hand, like securely between his legs, grabbing his bum. And I, I could do all kinds of things like with my other hand, like I could cut the grass, literally pushing the lawnmower one day, holding him because the sound of the lawnmower, um, it was an electric one. So it wasn't that loud, but it was loud enough that he, that vibration of the sound, he loved that. So he'd fall right asleep right away. So I, my wife has a picture of me like pushing the lawnmower with one hand, like holding the baby in the other. So you're gonna learn your ways. Like my wife always liked to look at him, so she would always hold him face up, but I was always holding him face down. And we we were able to quickly get to a point of agreement about the fathers don't mother. Like if it wasn't a safety issue, we wouldn't worry about how each party was doing things. And I know for my wife, that was particularly hard because you know this, you know it's our, it's my baby, but it's it's her baby too. She's she's had that physical relationship and birthed him. Um, so there's a certain sense of protectiveness where she would be inclined to like wonder if I was like wiping his butt too hard or I'd made the diaper too tight and these little things like that. But you know, we, we quickly were able to get to a point of mutual respect and understanding and care with that context of this is the bigger picture relationship building we're working on here and finding ways to allow each other to have our own sort of melody within the larger chorus Um, was, was very helpful for us.
1: Mm -hmm. That sounds like, you know, what, what we talk about at the Nest is a whole new set of communication tools, right? Uh, Most new parents aren't used to negotiating all of these tiny details. I mean, maybe some, right, but also keeping alive another human. So you're all, you're, you're thrown in new work you've never done and a whole new set of communication tools that are key to keeping this boat afloat. So yeah, it's a big endeavor. Um, I want to, I shared with uh, David that his book is really, your book is really the only place I've heard it illustrated well that this response to an infant's cry. So you're talking about caregiving, you're talking about soothing. I love Dr. Harvey Karp. I think Harvey Karp, who's the author of that five S's book, Happiest Baby on the Block, is such a great tool for men because it's also spoken from a man. And I think that's beneficial. Uh, but anyway, going back to this idea of crime, uh, I work with lots of men, fathers who say this. And David, to read it in your book was great. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's not just those folks I've worked with. This is a universal thing. And really speaking to the difference in how a woman hears a baby's cry, feels it in her body and, and responds versus some men, right? So I can only speak as a woman who has birthed a baby When your own baby cries, your whole body lights up. Like you must fix this, right? Your whole body, (laughs) it's you must do, you must do the things. And most women are inclined to then scoop the baby up, have that eye contact, like you said, your wife liked to have and, and be connecting. Not true, not same always for men. Do you wanna give a little bit of space for how that might feel? for a father who's attending to a baby who's got maybe even excessive crying, but maybe it's not excessive, it's just crying.
0: Yeah, that's a, a great point, because I know this was this was particularly challenging for us. Um, our second baby, uh, about five or six weeks after um, she was born, she started going, having these pretty intense, what they call colic episodes, which basically every night for like two or three hours, she would just scream like, like nonstop and just clearly in a state of distress. And, um, I might, I'll mention real quick, my wife is a pediatric nurse practitioner. So she sees brand new babies up until they're 18. And Mm -hmm. she, most of her work is with young babies and infants that are coming in for their first checks and their wellness checks. And she had patients who would come in with babies that had colic and the standard answer is, Oh, don't worry about it. It'll pass in a couple months. Try some, you know, Try some a couple little modalities, but they kind of missed the. She kind of missed the uh, impact of what having a baby crying in your lap for three hours any night, much less every night, feels like. And after we went through our our second daughter's colic period, and again, colic is one of those great medical words that just describes what you told them. Like, oh, my baby's crying, and they're like, oh, that's colic. Well, what's that? Oh, it means your baby's crying, and you're like, right. WTF? I did. I told you that. You didn't <laughs> tell me anything. You know. Um,
1: yeah.
0: So. After catwalk. she, yeah, after she went through that, she had a total different appreciation. Um, and we talked about that. And one of the, and the thing that you're alluding to there is that for, for me and a lot of the guys I talk with, when the, when your baby starts crying, you're going to try your things. You're going to try the soothing, the swaddling, the shushing, all the things, the snuggling, you know, maybe, maybe baby's hungry, they're wet, you change a diaper. So you're, you're in like, um, actual solution kind of mindset. And, um, After kind of none of these things work, it's very easy to start getting frustrated and compounding that. And this is where I think the the meat of the issue is for a lot of guys, the sound of that baby crying doesn't provoke anxiety. It starts to provoke anger. Mm -hmm. Like it's not what, oh, my poor baby, what can I do? It's make it stop. Mm -hmm. The sound itself is the problem. Not that my baby is upset. I'm, I'm still very solution oriented and comfort oriented, but the sound of the crying is just can for a lot of guys can just be enraging and infuriating um, where, you know, you'll see guys with their fists clenching and, um, you know, working hard, just try to maintain some sort of control and equanimity and like, uh, you know, problem solving and from your, from a brain scan, like all your problem solving is up here and way back here is this little thing called the amygdala. That's your like fear and anger and flight. And as you get more upset, all your blood goes back here and you're not in problem solving mode. You're in like, you know, fight or flight, you kind of drift into that. And that's what can be so challenging because then, you know, the second thing that comes up is shame. Like I shouldn't be angry at my baby. Like my poor baby look, it's red faced. It's, it's clearly distressed. My wife is, is having very strong anxiety response. And I'm over here clenching my fist, trying not to say, make it stop you know? Um, and again, I use I in the general sense, like this is, this is a experience. A lot of guys have confided me. in, as they've confided in you, Katie, like Mm -hmm. I get so angry and, and, you know, I never want to hurt my baby. I'm going to walk outside. I'm going to do all the correct things, Mm -hmm. but am am I, am I a bad person for feeling angry at the sound of my baby's crying? And to that, I want to say, no, not at all. It's a very common experience. Um, one of my big dad tips, and this is kind of listed like three different times is, just wearing a pair of headphones or earplugs, anything just to silence that volume of the sound can really help you remain calm, remain connected and in that emotional um, uh, you know, reaching to connect kind of space where you're, you're wanting to connect with your baby, you're wanting to soothe and uh, feel into that space and be, be a source of emotional stability but sometimes you can't do that if the sound is is just from a sound point of view sonic point of view is just too loud so headphones or you know a ball of cotton or whatever it is can go a long way to helping you stay present and connected so you're better able to attend to your baby rather than feeling disconnected or having to put these emotional walls up to try to you know channel your energy appropriately so the short version is that anger is a common experience it's understandable And often the easiest thing to do is to get to a place where you just can't, the the noise is less so you can remain present.
1: And can you share, I think that you you shared with me your wife's response to your using headphones. And I think that a lot of women would, you know, feel into that do you want to share that just so because i can hear the women already i can hear them
0: sure so when you know being the helpful husband that i that i aspired to be i went to you know the sporting goods store and got two pairs of just simple over ear like you know shooting range style headphones or you know just basic noise blocker they weren't music playing or noise canceling just a straight muffling and i was like hey babe i got one for you too so next time we go on the car ride and Dottie starts screaming We can both wear our headphones. And she was like, I am never wearing those headphones. There's no way. And she never did. Like we'd had many times where, you know, we're trying to get dinner on the table and the baby's just, she's been, she's 30 minutes into what's going to be three hours, no matter what we do. And, uh, my wife would refuse to put them on because to her, she felt like that would be, was being a bad mom. She was ignoring her baby. She was minimizing its, um, you know, it's emotional suffering. She want, she needed to stay connected in spite of how anxious and like overwhelming that was for her. Like she would break down in tears often, just at the 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 correct sense of helplessness. Like I can't connect with my baby to help it stop crying. And that means I'm a failure as a mom. Was that, that not that, that that was the script that was kind of like coming up for her? Um and so she would I would often see her kind of look sideways at me when I would put my headphones on. Until I was able to sit down with her when the baby wasn't crying and say, look, this makes me a better dad. I can, I can stay present for our baby. I can hold her and feel love and feel compassion and feel a sense of just witnessing. Like, I can't fix you right now, baby, but I can be present and I can hold you and I can love you and, and be a steady physical and emotional presence for you to lean into and rest against. Um, and it was amazing how often that once I got fully in that place, she would, she would much more frequently fade out of the colic sooner just by feeling into that space. than if I was like, you know, working hard to not be angry in spite of the volume of the noise that was making me angry. Um, so once we got clear on that, she was able to, she still wouldn't wear them. But she would she wouldn't look at me with side eye when I would put them on because she didn't think before it was, oh, he's ignoring the baby. And it's like, well, no, I'm just making the volume less so I can be more present for the baby. And that's that was a big distinction for her to get on the other side of mm-hmm. and understand, because before, you know, she wasn't able to really see how this was me doing my best part. It just looked like I was ignoring, you know. Right.
1: right. And such a really fabulous illustration of how different we can all parent the same child. It does come down to what are the tools I need as an individual to show up for my baby or my child or my partner and how different that looks from parent to parent. So I really love that you share that. I love that it's in your book because I really think so many men walk around with that shame and don't have validity that it really is so common. So. Again, thank you for sharing that here today and sharing that in your book. And I hope that helps uh, some of the fathers listening. Um, and I would add to the headphones, you could even be listening to music in there. I talk a lot about um, soothing tips for fathers to think about. And just you, you said it, you hit the nail on the head, which is I need to center myself so that I can be here to, to comfort and soothe. So even if there were music or meditation into those headset, into that headset, that would support an adult to go into that calm, loving place that the baby can lean into um, and, and whatever it takes for that person. I also would add to that going somewhere into, you know, whether you go there in your mind or you physically take yourself outside to the garden, something like that, where, yeah, it's all about right. Re- uh, so, you know, emotionally regulation within ourselves, you know, so that we can support and co-regulate.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, taking that one step further and we talk a lot, I think as a culture more recently, really about protecting postpartum, about, um, protecting space for mama to heal, recover, you know, she's, she gets a lot of attention. She, the water being brought to her, the food. And I know that All of those measures we talk about are meant to be inclusive of fathers, but are they really, are we doing enough to protect dad? Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about how men can be more proactive because maybe this does challenge some parts of men that I don't need that rest. I might, you know, everything should go to her. I'm okay. However, you too, men are also running this back-to-back marathon and can get, um, Adrenal fatigue, exhaustion, overwhelm, um, especially if you're also thinking of going back to work or maybe you're already working and also maintaining nighttime parenting. Um, we also know that men are um, certainly predisposed for postpartum mood disorders as well. So thinking about specific steps, men can do to be proactive to protect themselves. Thoughts you can think of um, at least in the beginning for six months or so.
0: Sure. And, and this, the main metaphor of the book, guys, and this is something I don't want us to lose, lose sight of, because so much of what I talk about is what we can do to help mom. But mm-hmm. the, the, the line that runs through the whole book is that you're on your own journey here. And you're on the journey that I, I call it the venture from the dude zone to the dad zone. The dude zone is you have your partner, you're probably something, a job career, and then your hobbies. And this is kind of your reality prior to seeing that positive pregnancy test. And then that pregnancy journey is your journey of shifting out of your dude zone life into this new life of the dad zone of where you have much bigger, um, responsibilities, both in the present, but also fewer, uh, future and forward-looking. So when you get into that postpartum period and this, you're now officially in the dad zone, the baby's here, like there's no, you may have been delaying that realization up until that you're holding your baby, but like now it's real like, you know, and there's a lot asked of you. Um, and some of it is much easier to, uh, embrace once you kind of understand that you've actually left the dude zone, like you're not golfing six hours every Saturday, anytime soon, even if you did that for 20 years before, you know, your baby came along. And, There's, there's some new life, a new reality, just like mom, the maiden to motherhood journey is transformation into a new being. So is the dude zone to dad zone journey. So in this dad zone, you know, you have to, you know, that father's don't mother you, you, you are entitled and encouraged to be your own person. Um, the two dud zones I talk about are wimpy town and jerkville and wimpy town. The guys just kind of give up and say, whatever, dear, just tell me what to do. And the jerkville guys are like, whatever, dear, you do it. And so these obviously don't, aren't where we want to spend any time, even though we will have a foot in both and either many times along that adventure, but getting to that postpartum period, we're in the dad zone and we still want to stay out of those dud zones. So we don't want to just turn ourselves into our our wife's servant or a girlfriend or partner's servant and be like, well, whatever you want, dear, sure thing where you kind of, you hear those guys joke about, you know, parking their testicles in a jar on the shelf and they have to ask their partner if they can have them to go out with their friends or whatever. Some comedian had a whole thing about that. Um, but we also don't want to go the other side into that jerk film, be like, you know what I saw, uh, last night on nature, a zebra popped out a baby and both mom and baby were joining the herd three days later. It's been three weeks. What are we doing here? You know? So those are both wrong approaches, obviously, but sometimes it's good to kind of hear the the validation of that. So in that dad zone, you still need to find a way to stay the course in between there. And so. Just like in the airplanes, we'll tell you to put your own mask on before you help the person next to you. We have to take care of ourselves um, and make sure we have enough gas in the tank. We have enough uh, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, existential energy that we're not already out while we're trying to help our partners. And then we're not doing anybody any good. So um, real briefly, the dad tip number 25 is what I call the uh, dad, new dad blues busters, and there are six different areas I try to focus on real briefly where you guys can spend a little money or energy, you know, money, energy, time, all being roughly equivalent at the end of the day, um, a little bit ahead of time to build yourself some credit for later. So I talk about food, you know, these are all fundamentals on food. Um, one of my favorite things we got was this Instapot thing. And we would throw in the morning, I would throw a couple chicken breasts in there, literally pour a thing of barbecue sauce on top turn it on to slow. And then magically at the end of the day, we have barbecue chicken ready kind of whenever we are, it's not, Oh wait, it's five o'clock. We're all tired. We're all hungry. Now who's going to make what for dinner and all that kind of stuff. So, or just doing DoorDash or takeout or whatever, but just, just thinking about that in the morning and doing something so that when dinner time is when it's dinner time, it's not a big deal. Um, So food's one of the things I like to talk about getting ahead of. Um, Another thing is decompressing. You know, A lot of times we have almost every, especially here in the US, paternity leave is non-existent. You might get a week or two weeks. Um, If you're lucky, you might get more than that. But regardless, when you come back to work, your job's still there waiting for you. And you're probably behind because somebody else has been asked to do part of your job. And a lot of us guys, we don't really... You know, we're grateful, but we're also like, you know, no, this is my job. Like you do yours. Let me do mine. Like there's a sense of, I need to come back and do extra to make Mm -hmm. up for my, you know, my coworker who had to bust their butt to cover my ass while I was gone, you know? So we're still like really committed to our job responsibilities, but we need to be, have time to decompress between leaving work and getting home where we're going to tag in on our dad responsibilities. So I suggest just 10 minutes of something that's not at work or at home, whether it's the park around the corner from your from the job site or the park around the corner from your house, but just stop, take 10 minutes, do what you need to do, get outside of your car, do some jumping jacks and push-ups, or anything to sort of like reset the system so that when you walk in the door, you're coming in as dad, rather than what you would used to do in the dude zone would be like come in grumbling about whatever happened or excited about whatever happened in your work home life the boundaries are much more fluid. So I'm asking you to make a stronger boundary between the two with an, in, again, once again, intentionally creating that little buffer zone in between where you're sort of clearing out your energy system to make room for the new role that you're stepping into as dad. Because right after that, guess what happens as soon as you open the front door, it's time to tag in. Uh, this is one of my recommendations for the relationship side where now mama can expect that when you walk in the door uh, that she can, Go to the bathroom. Maybe make herself a cup of coffee. Maybe make a sandwich and enjoy it for ten minutes of her own interrupted time. But whatever it is, expect to tag in. Hey, babe, how's the day? What's going on? Baby need a diaper change or just ate or sleeping. You know, if they're sleeping, obviously don't wake up the baby just to tag in. But expect that dad role. This isn't the dude zone where you come home and you crack open a beer and put your feet up and relax for ten minutes like that. You, that was what you should have done. Maybe not the beer on the way home, obviously, but The relaxing for 10 minutes. um, That was what happened before you walked in. So you're in, you know, you're tagging in now, and that's a great way to be a helpful partner. Um, The fourth thing I like to talk about there is your own time. I mentioned those dude's own hobbies or interests. Whatever they are, you don't want to lose them entirely because you're going to be losing some of your previous hobbies, but also it's a sense of self. Like, relationships buddies bar buddies or basketball buddies or whatever you know those are all going to kind of wither a little bit mm-hmm. so you have to intentionally cultivate whatever those things are that are at the top of your priority list um whether it's during your lunch break you go for a run or you get up a little bit early to um catch up with a friend who lives in a different time zone or maybe you ask them to get up early so you can still have your weekly like hey man so what's going on with you kind of thing or um you stay up late to watch a show that you used to watch together, but. Just, You know, your partner is now no longer interested in it, Um, but you have to find time and make time to still protect the things that are important to you because you're still you at the end of the day. And as these first few, three, six months kind of um, unwind, you will have a little bit more time to tap tap back into those. But let's let's keep those roots a little bit damp along the way by spending some time on yourself. Um, Equally important, and there's two more, number five is us time. Like I learned early, and you talked about breastfeeding earlier, that when my wife would first start, we'd be having a conversation about something, about work or something in my life that I thought was important I wanted to share. And the baby would stir and like whine a little bit. Um, And she'd be like, oh, let me grab, let me, let me grab baby Justin and and put him on the boob and we can keep talking. Like, okay, sure. And so she'd get him nestled and she would settle in and she'd like, okay, what were you saying? And so I would start to talk about pick up where my story was. And I would look back over and 45 seconds later, she's not paying any attention to what I'm saying. She's like looking at Justin and holding him and really in that mama baby oxytocin space of love and connection and bonding. And, you know, I could have hit a home run in the world series and that's just not going to be as interesting to her in that moment as that feeling of love and connection. So I had to learn that even though it looked like this was a good time to talk when she was nursing baby, it really wasn't. That was, that was time I should protect and be like, you know what, babe, you're doing, you're such a great mom. I mean, look, you and the baby are just so connected right now. And that was a, it was obvious, but b me saying that was a much better connection for us than me to prattle on about the presentation I gave or whatever. So find ways that aren't when she's breastfeeding, to cultivate your own relationship as two people and two parents that don't necessarily revolve around the logistics of baby. And finally, and this was the biggest thing for us was sleep. These are all, like I said, fundamental things, food, time, energy, and sleep. And what we found eventually was, uh, was I call shift sleeping. This is where, you know, my wife was more naturally, um, early to bed and I'm more of a night owl. So at eight o'clock she would go upstairs and go to bed, put on the white noise machine, set her alarm for 2 a.m. and just conk out. And I would stay downstairs. We had, Justin was on the couch next to me in his little rocket tot um, uh, or doc tot baby kind of thing. And he would sleep and wake up and she was pumping. So I had plenty of milk. I could warm up to feed to him when he was hungry and I could hang out with him. Or you mentioned those headphones earlier. Um, we set up the TV where I could get the sound in my headphones. So it wasn't loud for him. So I could be holding him, snuggling like Justin, our oldest. He loves snuggles. He was always happiest being held all the time. Um, So I could literally snuggle him as I'm doing all my things. I could even, you know, half fall asleep on the couch a little bit here and there. Two o'clock rolls around. The alarm goes off. She wakes up, comes stumbling down the stairs slowly. We had a quick little, okay, eight last at this point, diaper changed. you know, logistics, quick conversation. Then she would tag in and I could go upstairs and same thing set my alarm for 8 a.m., white noise machine on, and I got six hours of, you know, more or less of pure sleep. So each of us getting our own chunk of sleep was so much more um, constructive than us pretending we were going to still sleep in the same bed, and the baby was going to be someplace else, and then the baby wake up crying every couple hours, because that's what babies do, and whose turn is it, and what, we're both awake, and we're like, Nobody getting a good night's sleep is a really shitty idea compared to both of us getting a good night's sleep, even if it meant we were randomly sleeping by ourselves for a few months. Like That was a a happy trade to make for a good sleep, which then makes everything else so much easier. So again, guys, this is all part of the take care of yourself so that you can protect and serve your family better when you're well-rested, well-fed, clearly in the right frame of mind of decompressing and tagging in and still prioritizing things that are important to you and your own relationship with your partner outside of logistical parenting concerns. So those all go into that new dad blues busters box.
1: David, those are such important essential tools. Thanks for taking the time to share those. And I hope that's really helpful for the dads listening um, because it really is, it's a bit of a survival mode, right? It's thinking about those things, those essentials that you talk about. Um, We are coming up to the end of the hour, so I wanna open it up to folks who have joined us live. If any of the dads here have questions they'd like to ask David, you're welcome to. You can unmute yourself and ask, or like I said earlier, you can chat and I'm happy to read the question aloud. Um, If you wanna share a, a scenario that you'd like David's support with. Go ahead, Ian. I don't, have,
0: I don't have a question necessarily, but I just wanted to make a comment. I just ordered the book and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, all the tips of hearing, you know, dads going through similar things is really helpful. And especially the, the uh, comment you just made on crying. That's really helpful. I'm a musician. So for me, a lot of, when the baby hits this pitch, you know, and so for me, it was like, Oh man, it's just my ears. It's not even like most dads are not going through this. This must just be me and my, my ear, I, and she hits this certain pitch and I'll be like, Oh, it's almost like painful. Mm-hmm. And I don't find myself getting angry, but it's, it's actually like painful where I'm kind of like, Oh, like you that's hard to hear. Frustrated. So it's like, it's funny. You know, it's, it's really good to hear that from other dads and a lot of people don't talk about this stuff. So, you know, to have it all in a book, I'm really looking forward to reading it. And um, thanks for taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks, man. Congrats on your new baby. Thank you. You too, mama. <laughs>
1: Anyone else want to ask David a question or have it or if you have a share, a story, anything you want to contribute. Yeah, I guess I'm curious how common this is, but um, because my partner
0: was is in bed for the first two weeks and isn't doing a lot of the soothing, I feel like I've actually developed a little bit more of a bond with baby than she has at this point and I feel a lot of shame around that. Like I feel like I've interrupted some kind of like sacred bond with uh, between mama and baby, and just really wondering how to get back to being regulated with that in our little unit. Yeah, that's a that's a, a good question and a very um, you know reasonable and um, rational concern to have. Like you know, just the time and energy you're spending. Um, real quick, my wife. Uh, as it mentioned, as pediatric nurse practitioner, I'm working from home. So when she went back to work, you know, I'd already, we were already been 50, 50, but when she went back to work, I was, you know, the primary caregiver for our son. And I had some similar sort of like feelings, like he would get upset and not want her to sue them. He would want me to sue them. And I could just see the, the, the you know, the disappointment and sort of like struggle, and a, we talked about it quite a bit, which was helpful to normalize it by having those conversations and um, just sharing our feelings and where we were with it. And there were times when, and this is this is harder to do, but like he, you know, the baby would be upset, she would start to comfort him, and I could he would he, he I could see that he wanted me to hold him, but I would be like, oh, I have to run, go do this thing real quick, I'll be back in a minute, and I would intentionally separate myself from that. To kind of give them both the chance and the opportunity to to develop their own rhythm and routine um as she was getting away from being that so i mean i'm a big fan of communication i think telling us giving each other the space to honestly share where we are both as a listener and as the the speaker i think is a prerequisite for most anything else to help come up from that um but then doing maybe what you can to kind of as she feels better and is feeling more, um, interested and able to kind of take on more of that primary caregiver role to kind of create some space to allow them to develop their own sort of routines and whatnot. Cause none of this, none of this are you going to learn by reading it. You're only going to learn by getting in there and getting your hands literally dirty with the diapers and whatnot to figure out what works for you and the baby as, as your own unit. You know, I I'm, I'm not sure if that's, that's helpful or not, but that's kind of where I would have my first response. Do you think how important is it for there to be consistency between the, the dad and the mom in terms of soothing strategies? Is it okay that, that there's, there's the baby's getting different things from different parents? Um, I, I recommend it actually. I mean, I think, I think the baby is going to have its own thing that it likes that both of you are going to are learn to some degree. But again, you know, you're each different people You you know, from a baby's point of view, you feel different, you smell different you sound different, your heartbeats different, like babies are very sensitive to whoever's holding them their heartbeat. That's why people naturally hold baby in their left arm most of the time with their baby's ear against their left side of their chest. So your heartbeats, everything's different about you. So there's plenty of reasons to imagine that you would develop your own soothing um, mechanisms and relationships that work for both you and the baby and different than what works for mama and the baby. And that's part of the father's don't mother, like allowing each other a little bit of space to figure out what works for you and baby as individuals. And there'll always be an overlap, but there would also always be you know, un- unique perspectives and, and, um, and behaviors that go around that. So I would I encourage that as my, as my short answer.
1: Um, we have a question that was shared via chat. Uh, do you have any advice for long car rides, like six to eight hours? Um, this father's not angered by a crying baby. However, his wife is triggered by the crying, which we've sort of clarified. And is it okay to let the baby cry a little bit in the car on the road?
0: You know, those long car rides can be some of the most challenging things because there's all the safety concerns um, about both a parent being in the back seat with the baby, maybe not in a seatbelt and the baby not being in the carrier in the back seat. So I definitely don't want to go on record and recommend, you know, mom sit in the back and hold baby out of the car seat while you guys are driving. So I'm not going to explicitly recommend that. Um, But there's plenty of times to pull over. Sometimes both mama and baby, a five minute pit stop can do a lot to help bring things back down. Um, There's a device I recommend in the book. I have a top 10 gifts for dads in the book and most of them are, um, you know, functional, pragmatic things. And one of them is called the shusher. And this thing was like, I would have made it number one um, from a, from a purely sanity saving point of view. It's this little small plastic thing. They have them everywhere at all your baby stores, but it has a 15 to 30 minute timer. And it makes that rhythmic white noise shushing sound. And the volume can be pretty low or pretty high, but I mean, you guys, I see you guys with babies, you probably don't know this, but the ones with babies, they'll tell you that the sounds
1: in.
0: um, So the shusher can be turned to a volume that uh, might be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit loud, but the baby will find that rhythmic sound that's louder than it's crying will often relate to that in the sense of sort of comfort and oh, I feel safe. I'm in my car seat. I'm snuggled up like in the womb. I'm hearing sounds that are similar in the womb. I can. I feel safe. I can relax a little bit. So the shusher saved many uh, a, a long ride for us. Um, so that would be my recommendation in addition to the pit stops and just taking a few minutes to breathe here and there.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe get out of the car and breathe. <laughs> You are having that anger
0: response. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, from a physiological standpoint, like getting outside the car and just yelling really loud and stomping your feet and kicking some rocks, like just that physical outlet of the energy, it can it can be really relieving. Like you, if you sit there and you're just clenching the whole time, that energy's got to go somewhere, and giving it a an outlet, a safe outlet that you can really have at it. You know, scream as loud as you want on the side of the road. No, I mean there's probably other people doing it too. So (laughs) you're, you're, you're fine. Go for it. Like whatever you do to recenter yourself, because again, the baby's going to pick up on where you are and and an anxious person is rarely going to have a good impact on an anxious baby of settling the baby down, you know?
1: Thanks, David. Any other questions from the dads who've joined us today? Okay. David, can you? Oh, Mike, go ahead, Michael. No questions, but I wanted to thank you, David, for uh, being here and for providing your insight and knowledge on this. Because, yeah, um, some of it was a bit disconcerting for me. Uh,
0: but you've definitely added some reassurance to it. And just to know that I'm not alone and I'm not the only one who feels this way and that it's just not my problem, but. Um, how to work with it also. And uh, so once again, thank you for providing uh, some answers. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.
1: David, can you share with everyone listening how they can stay connected with you? um, If they wanted to, you, you want to share a little bit about in addition to the book other services you offer through coaching.
0: Sure. I I do. um, One-on-one coaching uh, primarily focused on that dude zone to dad zone trajectory. And then, you know, what, the last dad tip is called dad zone maintenance and upkeep. Um, You're perpetually going to be feeling pressures internal and external working you towards wimpy town or jerkville or the responses that would come from those. Um, So I do do one-on-one coaching. Um, It's uh, I love those relationships where we can kind of, you know, I look forward to my coaching sessions um, as much as I hope my clients do. Uh, You can see, you can see me on my website, just at www.welcometofatherhood.com. That's the best way you can send me emails to David at w, David at welcome to I have an Instagram and Facebook page, but as I mentioned, I'm 47. So you can imagine my presence on those is not as active as my younger cohorts would be. Um, but email on the website is just the best way to reach me for any questions or comments or, or feedback. I love feedback from the book, stories, anecdotes, anything where you tried something I suggested. And if it worked, tell me if it didn't work, then definitely tell me. Um, I have a running list of fun stories that people have shared with me to draw from a future edition or, or sharing in, in, you know, podcast or interviews like this. So, uh, all the comments are welcome and encouraged.
1: Thanks, David. thanks for spending your time with us today. I really appreciate it. We need more voices for men, from men, um, in this place of birth and parenting. So I appreciate all that you do. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Nest On Tap. For more talks about pregnancy and parenting, visit us online at thenestfamilyresource.com, on Facebook at The Nest Childbirth Postpartum and Parenting, and on Instagram at thenest.nc.